Holiday Adventures, everybody. I'm Melissa Bonzek, and welcome to episode 72 of Books Cubed, the show where I chat with authors you should be reading. It is Thursday, August 6th, 2020. And I want to say thanks for the nice comments from the bookbinding show with Lisa Van Pelt a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I had several people request another show from her studio so they can see what she does. So uh, I'll chat with her about that. And assuming that the COVID has ever uh, gotten under control, maybe that can happen because I'd like to be there and not just have her take video. So today, um, normally I interview people. Today, my friend Terry is on interviewing me and she's asking me questions that I often get from readers about my series and me and also some things that she was interested in asking. And uh, this was fun to do. It was fun, but boy, do I have mad respect for everyone who has come on the show and been able to answer my questions and make sense and not get off on a long tangent and end up going, what was the question? Because that happened to me more than once. Uh, so um, we'll get right to it and uh, I'll see you after. This week, I am chatting with Terry M. Kalika, who is a young adult author, and I have been after her forever to finish up this wonderful, cozy series that she has started, and I'm going to bug her again about it because what I've read so far, I love, and I can't wait to read more of it. Uh, anyway, she has turned the tables on me this time, and she's going to interview me. So um, we'll see if it's anything interesting. Uh, I'll let her go ahead and start. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Now I really get to pester you, right? Torment yeah. <laughs> you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to start off by saying you are the most creative, uh, inspiring person, friend, that I know. I usually can't keep up with you. You know, your mind just goes like this all the time, and I love it. I love it. Oh, so thanks, keep pushing me on things, but yeah, I am. <laughs> And I love your series, your June Nash series. So I think we're going to be talking a lot about that. Um, but um, is that, you know, is, is um, writing books your, your first endeavor at writing? Or had, have you written other things before you started writing books? No, no, I started. Um, it, well, before I go, I've got us on split screen. Do we, should we stay on split screen or should I strange change Whatever it? Whatever is best for you. Okay, I'll just, I, I'm like, Doris. I want to see you. So. <laughs> <laughs> so the camera will be on us all the time. I got to remember. Okay. Don't stand up if you're not wearing pants. Okay. Um, let's see. How did you <laughs> I, know? I laugh because you know, Terry, Terry and I sometimes write in an afternoon Zoom group and we had, were you on the day that one of the girls, her husband walked through with just underpants? <laughs> no, no. Darn it. <laughs> I miss that. <laughs> it was pretty funny. I think he was wearing boxers, but still, it was pretty, it was pretty funny. Okay, so um, let's see. I got my start. Um, I always wanted to write. I always, I, I remember being four, and Franco Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet was in theaters. It's 1968 or 69, probably 68. I think it was four. And my mom took me to see it. And we lived in the Boston area and somewhere in Lowell, we went to a theater and we sat in the balcony and I loved the balcony for the longest time. And we sat in the front row and I just stood up and I leaned on the balcony and stared at the screen. And I knew this is what I wanted to be involved with 
somehow, um, whether it was on the screen or whether it was, was creating what you saw. But I was four, so I didn't quite understand what I wanted to do. I just knew I wanted to be a part of it. And so, um, story, I, I always would tell myself, and I, I still do to, kind of to this day, is I tell myself bedtime stories, uh, always great adventures. And this is, I grew up in the days before VCRs and, you know, in my day, youngsters, we had three TV channels with UHS yeah. gave you, UHF gave you a fourth. Uh, and there was a couple channels you would, it was two dials. One on the top was, you know, your three channels with lots of channels with fuzz in between. And then the bottom was the UHF and you had to change it to UHF setting. And then you would change the UHF dial and try to get something to tune in. And there was always two or three weird things that wouldn't tune in very well. So uh, because I couldn't um, record anything, I would take, well, visually. So I would take a tape recorder and I would record my favorite shows. And I would listen to them again and again and again. So dialogue is the thing that I, I listen to all the time. And I, in my mind, I, I saw everything that would have happened on the screen. But I love dialogue. So I got my start writing screenplays uh, just because of my, you know, growing up. And, and I talked to a lot of other screenwriters my age who did the same thing. Mm-hmm. They, would, they would record with their, you know, we had these big clunky tape recorders and you had to press record and play at the same time to get it to record uh-huh. and yeah and um and so i would listen to those over and over and over and and, and so like i said screenplays are what i started with uh, i was a literary agent for hmm, i don't know to think i think a 93 to 2000 uh i, I think I started as a reader and I would read screenplays and then write a, a review, uh, a basic synopsis and a little review of them and send them to my boss. And then he brought me on as an editor. And so all the screenplays, I had a good eye for, if this had happened, it would have been better. And you know, if you could do this, it would be, it would flow better. Um, excuse me. So he brought me on to go through and, and edit and work with the writers uh, to make the screenplays better. And then he kind of threw me into the deep end of being an agent, which I hated. I had no problem making contacts, but it was really hard to make that final sale for screenplays. We we optioned a buttload of stuff, Uh, but production companies will option stuff all the time and then never make the films. Uh, Or or they'll go out of business after they've optioned, you know? It's like, oh man, then you gotta find somebody else again. So the most fun I ever had was cold calling um, production companies uh, um, when I had first started. And I happened to catch Kevin Smith, who did Clerks, at his office. Really? Yeah, he was doing um, Chasing Amy, the film Chasing Amy. He was in the middle of filming it. And huh. we probably talked for 20 minutes. And he was so nice. And he was just continuously, he was so excited about the movie and telling me all about it. And um, by the time we got off the phone, I'm like, why did I call him? And did I introduce myself? I'm not sure I got a word in edgewise. Uh, but but it was re- that was the most fun I had was chatting with him that day. So I, I've watched his career. It's been really fun to see what he's done. I, I love that he makes some, such fun of himself that they always joke about Clerks 12 and Clerks 15 because he keeps making the sequels, you know, of of his films. Anyway, if you're a Kevin Smith fan. Um, uh, so anyway, let's see, but did I answer your question? Yeah, so screenplays, I started with screenplays. And then 
uh, I made a few, I, I worked as a camera operator for indie films and uh, I uh, did a few, I did some PSAs and I did a lot of behind the scenes for films um, where I would follow the, the camera crew around and the, the actors and the director and, um, and then put together, you know, the behind the scenes featurette for their DVDs and did some music videos and did some short films. Uh, uh, let's see, one of my short films won an acting award. So that's really cool. And, uh, and then I did a feature film. And then uh, I stopped with film. Um, I just had a bad experience with, uh, with something. And I just, I realized that um, I just wasn't going to ever make any money in the medium. Yeah, I know. We sort of talked about this and not to give anything away, but I know that um, uh, you had this uh, yearning to write a book that's fantasy and it's been percolating for about 20 years. So, um, um, but June Nash, how, how did she come about? June came, <laughs> June's fun. June, I love June. Okay, so my husband had this group of friends that would go out snake hunting and they would get in cars and they would drive in the back roads and they would go really slow and they would stop suddenly and yell snake and they'd all leap out of the car and go running to the front and look at a stick that was on the ground. I'd be in the car thinking, it's a stick. <laughs> but no, they were sure it was a snake. Sometimes it was a snake, but I don't know. The night I was with them, it was a lot of sticks. So, and then, you know, sometimes it was back roads. And so they'd be going like 10 miles an hour and then slamming the brakes on. And I'd be in the back seat. It would make me massively car sick. Even in the front seat, it would make me massively car sick. So there was that. And then I'd been doing a lot of documentaries. And so I, uh, Mark had a couple of friends named Brandon and Patrick who would be out snake hunting, you know. And so I followed a bunch, I followed them for a while because I thought I was going to make a documentary called How to Sex Your Snake because they've been sexing snakes, sexing rattlesnakes one day and you put them in this tube and there's these things that you do and I didn't want to think about it because it makes me nauseous to this day still. And I had to watch a bunch of videos on how to do this because I wonder when I wrote about it in my book. And I, I mean, I finally got over it, but it's been a while. So I was working on making a documentary and I interviewed a bunch of people and the documentary never really came together. I didn't really have a focus to it and I was getting car sick. So it's like, I am just too car sick to do this. So I kind of abandoned that. And then I did a short film. So how does sex your snake is in three versions. There's the, the documentary that I started making. I never finished. And then uh, I made a, we got, at, we got another pilot request. So I made a pilot called How to Sex Your Snake about a guy who worked for an online newspaper. And he wrote the pet column of how to, how to date when you have pets. And he met this girl that he liked who had a snake. And so it was the characters that all worked at this newspaper. And this, she was a veterinarian. That was it. She was the veterinarian, I think. And he was the newspaper guy. And so it's a so-so. I mean, I, the actors were fantastic, but I didn't quite, I mean, I, I know what you need to do to write a pilot and I, and I didn't quite hit all the spots um, for it to work. So it didn't get bought either. Uh, and that's somewhere, I think that might be on my website. I'll take a look and I'll put in the show notes, show links okay. if you, if it's there. So then I'm like, Oh, I love the title, how to sex your snake. I just love that. And I want to do something with that one day. So um, my daughter had, a, we had a rescue. It was at one of those giant boa constrictors. She was about nine, 10 feet long. And she was like really thick around the waist, really thick. 
and uh, my daughter would put her in the shower. And we had one of those showers that you, it has a, a, a handle that you turn the handle to turn it on. So, excuse me, we would put the snake in the shower and then she would climb out when she was done. And the way she climbed out was she would turn the water off as she climbed out because she would climb up over the fixtures, climb across and go across, excuse me, go across the light fixture and she would lay on the light fixture. So... 10, 11 foot snake, or nine, 10, whatever, big snake. And so one day the door was closed and I was taking towels in and I opened the door and I stepped in and there's the snake face hanging there midair. And she's like, her tongue is going in and out, just about touching my nose. And we're like nose to nose. And I'm thinking, <gasps> because if she bites you, her jaws for a snake that big, it's not going to kill me, but it's going to hurt like heck. Mm -hmm. both my daughter and my husband were bitten by her. So, you know, there I am nose to nose with a snake <laughs> thinking I'm going to die. So I just very, you know, I reached behind me for the doorknob and, and guided myself just very easily back and got out of that room and closed the door and told my daughter, put the snake away. So that happened. And then I think, I think the, I, I was, I was, thinking about just what, what to do and, and, and knowing that I, I really loved that title and thought, oh, and then my husband went overseas. He was in the military and he was assigned NATO to work with NATO. So he was stationed with Izmir, Turkey. And so this is 2000. And left you to then, take care of the snakes? Yeah. So for one year, <laughs> I had to take care of the snakes. And we had between adults and babies because he would breed snakes and we would take them to snake shows there was a little over a hundred snakes. And I know in the book I wrote, there were 20, but afterwards I thought, oh, that's not right. And I had to go back and look, no, there was, you know, with adults and babies, there was over a hundred. So it would take me all day on a Saturday. And there were charts that you had to write down what you fed the snake and, and, and all that. And it, it would take, like I said, every two weeks you fed them, but the babies, it was every week and you had to hold the babies and get them acclimated to being held. And so you would, I would hold them and let them bite the skin between my finger and my thumb and, and, you know, just hold them and talk to them and, and get them used to being held. And uh, so I did that for a year and thought, um, when my husband comes home, I'm going to kill him and bury him <laughs> in the backyard, cut him into a lot of little pieces along with all the snakes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, by the time, by the end, I just hated all the snakes and thought, and thought, and, and, and then one day I just sat down and thought, I'm going to write a screenplay about it because it would be fun to have uh, uh, where she, where's this woman and, you know, her husband is a snake expert and she has to drive uh, a little snake. Uh, she goes to pick up a little snake and gets involved in a murder mystery somehow. So I sat down to write it. And when you write a screenplay, the first thing you write is, is your location. So your interior or your exterior. So INT or ENT. And then where it is. So like interior, INT, living room, then day, night or day. So I wrote whatever the setting was. And then for the, for the intro paragraph, you just basic, you know, um, uh, exterior, night, uh, exterior, uh, uh, village, night. Uh, houses dot a rocky landscape along a, a shore. Uh, houses dot a landscape along a rocky shore. Okay, so then that gives you a visual of what the scene's going to look like. So I started writing this little paragraph, and it turned into three chapters of a book. And I was more surprised than anybody that I'd written three chapters when I meant to write one paragraph of description. I'm like, huh. That's interesting. How did June Nash get 
to be a a single girl. So I got June Nash. So June became this me dealing with my husband, which is how I how I dealt with that year, and that that, that was very um, healing, I guess, writing that and letting her. June is very sarcastic, very angry, very selfish. Um, I hate to say she's like me, but she's kind of like me. I'd like to think I'm not as selfish as she is. Um, <laughs> I'd really like to think I'm not. Though, though she does come through. You know, there, there are times when people need her, and she does. She comes through and, and helps. But her main, her main thing is for her brother. So when I wrote the, the first version of... Uh, actually, I had written... I did. I wrote it as a NaNoWriMo. I forgot about that. I did write it as a NaNoWriMo, and it, the, it was called The Aha Moment. And June was um, was uh, walking through. She, I had worked in North Dakota. I had a bunch of different jobs. I worked for Kelly Temporary Service just because something to do. And um, one of the jobs I did was uh, on a survey crew in the middle of winter. <laughs> You know, you hold that pole and they have that thing and they, yeah. I don't know, I don't know, you know how it works. You just hold that pole and the other guy with the little camera thing goes a distance and then does something and then you move on. So I had where she's in the first version, she is in a field doing that and he walks through looking for snakes and she follows them out of the field and they're together. Well, as I was writing it, I thought, you know, if I did more than one book, it might be fun to have her involved with people. And if she's married, it's just not all that interesting. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, I'll make him her brother. And it's even more interesting as I started writing it. I'll make him her twin brother. And she's 90 seconds older. So her mother always tells her, you're taking care of your baby brother. <laughs> you're the older one. She's like, by 90 seconds. Oh, and a day. So they, they have birthdays on different days, I think. I have to, I have to go back and look. So uh, it's like by midnight and the stroke of midnight and 90 seconds or 60 seconds or something, she's older by one day. So, uh, so, so yeah, so that's, that's where she came about. And that, that's, the changes were so that I could have her involved with people or, and off doing adventures without having to check in with her husband or have him with her. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Dewey's kind of like a MacGuffin or he's that, that, MacGuffin or is something that uh, doesn't have anything to do with the story, but it moves the story along, like the briefcase in Pulp Fiction. You know, we never know what's in the briefcase, but the briefcase keeps going, you know, through and people are different, people are after it, and it helps to move the story forward, but we don't know what it is. So Dewey's kind of like that. So she's always worrying about her brother and making sure that he's okay and getting rid of the doozers, his crazy fans and all that. Uh, but I don't have to worry about him really being in there. He is occasionally, and he's in the short story. There's a prequel, and he's in the short story, the whole thing, sort of. So um, anyway, so yes. Yeah, so well, you know, to me, he's, um, he's sort of selfish, but I don't, yeah. I don't see June as being that selfish. I see her as being impulsive, yeah. not thinking things through, oh, yeah, you know? Yeah. I mean, you got to yeah. love her. She's such a, a, a fun character. And, uh, and I think that's that she just moves that, you know, story. She's always just on the move and, and, and not thinking about if I do this, this could happen. Or although sometimes she does and she goes, eh, I'm going to do it this way. <laughs> she always picks, you know, the wrong alternative there, but. Yeah, she does. I mean, don't, don't we always, uh, you know, we, we think we overthink things sometimes as, as humans and, and, sometimes there are disastrous consequences always for June um, 
yeah, yeah, she, 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 yeah, you're right. Dewey is very selfish. And, you know, and, 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 and had a snake, had a six year snake when they finally, when he finally makes an appearance, you, you see him in the beginning and then you don't see him for all the middle. And then he finally makes an appearance again and he's got a camera crew with him and he's posing for the camera and, you know, being dramatic and, and they go off to save, you know, save the day and they leave Junward all alone. He's like, you want to come with us? She's like, no, not really. Uh, she'd had enough of all that. Um, but, but yeah, you know, thinking about, it, I guess he is more selfish. He, he, well, he's the one with the career, you know? And so yeah, she's yeah, his but, assistant, she's his personal assistant. So, and she takes all, you know, the anger, you know, from the fans, you know, if she, yeah. she protects him, but you know, it's like, she's the meanie and yeah, yeah. I don't think she's selfish at all, but you're right. He, he carries the story forward. So, yeah. 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 Well, let me, um, let me ask you some questions. Uh, I know that you had sent out a survey, I think, one time about similarities between you, uh, possibly, and June, and you asked which um, which happened first, um, who did what, um, and you you just went over a few of those. But um, I think you started out with. Um, let me get my paper here. Um, you said June slips into a pool of human blood who did it first you or june and i was very disappointed that how many people who replied to that survey said it was me <laughs> <laughs> come on how many pools of blood do you think i have, have i've never stepped in a pool of blood thankfully except for dog blood you know i've cut cut the dog nails and where you know you get blood all over the whole kitchen because you cut the nail too short uh -huh, uh -huh. And I thank God, you know, if somebody did one of those light things, they'd be like, oh, my God, it's a bloodbath. They dismembered somebody in this kitchen. But no, no it's definitely her. Hopefully it's never me. Hopefully, Hopefully not. Hopefully not. <laughs> um, okay. I think in, the, in, in uh, How to Sex Your Snake, you also, um, uh, I know this happened, something, um, I'm just going to read it like you said. After June was stuck in the neon orange outfit, which tells us a little bit about <clears throat> something. She steals Morgan's pants, deciding to keep them because of the pockets. Who did it first, June or you? Uh, me, uh, no neon clothes. I mean, I wasn't at a crime scene. She's at a crime scene and they take her, <laughs> they take her clothes because it's evidence. Uh, but no, I, I, you know, women's clothes don't have pockets, which, I mean, we do have pockets occasionally, but they're like an inch long. You can't do anything with women's pockets. So um, my youngest, my youngest, I, I was doing laundry and I, I grabbed the pair of jeans and threw them on and didn't realize they were his. And I'm wearing them going, God, these are just so comfortable. And the pockets, there's pockets. I don't remember buying these pants and I wore them all day. And then finally my kid said, are you going to give me my pants back? I'm like, they're yours? I've been wearing oh my god i've been wearing a guy's pants all day long and they fit much better than i would have liked to have uh thought that i uh, you know run, run around in a guy's pants all day uh but i then so i incorporated corporate cor brought in i can speak um the idea of pockets uh for that one for the june i think i can't remember if she stole the pants she wanted to he might have stolen the back from her i can't remember now yeah yeah <laughs> you know um which which we should talk about um, sometime the differences between men and women's clothes and how practical and more comfortable men's are. We oh, yeah. could really go off on that, you know? 
Oh God. Yeah. 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 If I buy sweatpants or if you buy sweatpants or sweatshirts, always buy men's because they're always cheaper. Yeah. They always charge more money for the women's version. And it's the same thing, just smaller, less material. And it costs more. And they don't wear those high heels that are so uncomfortable. And you know, no, no. (laughs) Okay. Um, The next question I think you had here was um, after June discovers Morgan at the strand, which strand are you talking about? England? Oh no, no. It's um there's a, a, a hotel at um in just outside of uh my pretend uh city that they live in, Horseshoe Bend, which is a little village actually, near it's probably around the area where Douglas, Arizona is. I think that's about the area, you know, near Highway nineteen going down toward um uh Nogales. So okay. uh, about you know, uh, not too far yeah, from the I, Mexican I couldn't border. I figured that out because I thought I would have known that if it was, and I thought it's been a while since I read the first book, and you know, okay. So anyway, uh, the two end up Morgan and June end up stuffed in the trunk of a car. Who did this first? And once again, <laughs> these people seem seem to think that I lead a really crazy life. <laughs> Uh, never been stuffed in the trunk of a car. I have stuffed people in the trunk of my car. Though in college, we used to go to the drive-in and they charge per person, not per car. People would go in my trunk and I'd get, take them out when we got inside so they didn't have to pay. <laughs> well, you know, drive-ins are making a comeback now. I uh, wonder if we could do something like that. Really, I think For they charge my car like, now. We would wind up in the orange outfits, you know? know really. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. Um, Oh, here we go. Okay. Before June and Morgan end up in that car trunk, June has a gun waved in her face. Who did oh, that happen to? That was me. That was me. Uh, when we, when I was a kid, um, we lived in the middle of nowhere. And uh, one night, and there, there weren't a lot of houses around us. Um, my dad had bought the property on both sides. So we had about seven acres. So there wasn't a lot, you know, our closest neighbor was pretty far away. And so one night uh, there's somebody at the front door knocking on the door and, and, you know, let me in so-and-so I'm like, uh, you know, I was like 14 or 15. So I called the neighbor who came over with his gun and was waving his gun around and scaring the crap out of me, um, pointing it at me, not, you know, just kind of waving it around as he's talking. And I'm thinking you were going to accidentally shoot me. Uh, I can't remember if his finger was on the trigger or not, but but he was just kind of waving that gun around like he sh- he shouldn't have been, but he scared the crap out of me. So that was me first. Um, I, a long time ago, but I, I still remember how terrified I was. Yeah, yeah. You can remember yeah. those things. Always the storyteller say you, uh, you, you remember these things and you put them in there. Um, a little bit out of... Uh, uh, context here but um tell me about uh, Cyrano I know that the dog is is modeled after yeah she's modeled real after dog, my, right? yeah after my sweetie Roxanne so when, when we moved to Tucson in 2004 um we used to go to the pet store uh, we had um two dogs Maddie who was a Labrador and Stitch who was a terrier and we just lost Stitch about a month ago, and she was 19 when she died. She, uh, so and we had those two dogs, but we would go to the pet store and the Greyhound people 
there's there's a racetrack in Tucson, and I can't remember if it's still operational. So there are two greyhound groups in town, and they would bring the greyhounds to PetSmart like third third Saturday of the month or something. So for six months, I would look at these greyhounds and, and say to my husband, I really want a greyhound. They're so sweet. They're so wonderful. And for about six months, we looked at them. And then one day we were in and there was just the sweetest dog. And she was, she was sniffing and, and leaning on all the children. And she was chasing yeah. and, and just playing and loving all the little dogs. She, and greyhounds, you have to be careful because sometimes they don't like cats. They can be kind of violent to cats and to small dogs. Because, to chase, so. Yeah, because they chase the rabbit yeah. at, at the, on the track. And greyhounds can be really vicious. And, you know, you laugh about that. But um, when they're in like a pack, they all wear muzzles because their, their skin is very thin and it can tear really easy. But mm-hmm. if one of them, and I remember a couple of times this happened when there'd be like 40 greyhounds all together playing and one would get like hurt and would cry and they would just all converge like they were going to attack and kill it and, and act very viciously. Um, so they can be, and they used to use them for hunting. You know, it, it was um, the, the fawn colored ones were uh, for royalty. And then they, they bred the brindle ones so that they could, you could, the common people, if I'm saying this right, I think this is correct. The, the common people could have then the brindle ones and then you couldn't see them because they blended in. Mm. I guess I hope that it's not folklore, but I, I think that's true. Because um, my daughter did a report and I'm trying to remember. I think that's what it was. So anyway, so after six months, we found this one dog and we said she was so sweet. Her name was um, Lady or something like that. And they had, oh, I've got a piece of hair that's doing weird things. Um, they had her, her racing um, uh, history with her i think she'd won once and she'd come in second 12 times and what she liked to do was she was in the lead always when she started but then she liked she would drop back so she could be with the pack and give somebody else a turn she was just really social so she's lucky she wasn't shipped off to mexico because she was very fast she was very fast and small it took us four years to house train her (laughs) four years she lived to be 12 and when she died, our terrier was heartbroken. I'm, I'm, I'm going to cry thinking about it, but she was yeah. just, she was my sweetie. I just loved that dog. But she, she was the sweetest dog, but she was the dumbest dog ever created. She was just so dumb. We had her on a walk one day and she came across this stick. So it comes out of the ground and then it forms a V and her nose came into the V and she stopped and she didn't know how to get out of the V. And she's looking oh, up at no. Mark and, and fussing. She didn't know what to do. She was stuck. And so we had to reach down and move the V out of the way. And then she continued on. Uh, she, she, was, she was a great dog. And, and the way I describe her getting into a car in the book is exactly how you had to lift up her front paws and you put them on the car seat. Then you went around to the back and she would look at you and wait and watch. You'd pick up her back feet and then walk them forward and hoping that she would move forward with her front feet and then you get so there was a, like a ball of greyhound and she'd just stand there waiting and she'd look back at you and you'd kind of give her a little shove and then she'd hop into the car and i i would be leaving uh, the greyhound group meetings and i'd be putting her in the car and everybody would be laughing at her but you have to laugh because it was hysterical to watch yeah um so and, and food you know food was if it was on the ground it was hers and that's the same thing with within the book and so that, that saves June a couple times. 
is yeah. is the dog. Uh, so, but yeah, she so was just. Bruno is really her, right? That you're you're talking about. Yeah. Oh. So she was. Yeah, she was. I mean, that's 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 it. But it, she's more of a more of a tan with just very light brindling in the book. I mean, I don't really describe it too much. I kind of let the cover artist do what he wanted, and then I don't think I really described her her that much. But she was just. Yeah, she was she was a real dog, and she was. I mean, that Cyrano in the book is the Cyrano that that you see. That was her in real life, but she was Roxanne. Well, I know you try to be, uh, you know, authentic in in a lot of your parts of the book, and in the second book, um, <laughs> "How to Square Your Grouper" is that the title? Um, mm -hmm. That takes place in Key West, and you've already mentioned that a little bit. Um, but uh, I wanted to ask you, Key West is just one of those places where anything goes, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's just so cool. And, uh, like I said, that the chickens stopping traffic and everything. Um, so I think you had mentioned one time and I have to ask you about your hair color. Uh, okay. was that the first time you actually colored your hair, you know, in Key West? Yeah. West? I yeah, thought so. yeah, I went into um, the Bobby shop on, it's across from the Green Parrot. If you're looking at the Green Parrot, it's too, if you're looking at the Green Parrot, it's like across the street and, and down, there's like a um, uh, convenience store and then there's the Bobby shop and there. If you're in Key West and you did your haircut, go to the Bobby shop. They're fantastic. It's B-O-B-B-Y. I hope it's still there B -B -B. after that. Hi. Yes, mm -hmm. the guy who owns it is Bobby. Okay. So uh, the girl that did my hair, I'm so sorry, I can't remember her name. She was fantastic. And we were joking around one day and she might have done somebody else's hair and I saw it, but I, we talked a couple times and I said, it'd be fun to have put pink in my hair. And I had um, my hair, I would always get it lightened because my hair is really dark. You, if you're on watching on thing, you can, you can see that it's got, I've got really dark roots and um it's uh, it's just really dark and it's just depressing to have dark hair, so I would always get it lightened. You know, they do like um like a medium blonde with some with some medium blonde medium brown, warm brown. We do warm brown with a little bit of auburn, a little bit of blonde, and that's what I would get done in my hair. And I said to her, it might be fun to get like a little bit of pink in there, and so she said, okay, let's do that. So she did like a pink stripe the first time. And then every time I went in, there was more and more pink, and then it became all pink. <laughs> Sometimes I do blue and green. I've done green and bl and yellow. Um, I did some yellow, but I didn't I didn't quite like the yellow. But but that's that's fun. I've been doing that. So I've been doing my hair. I've got a piece of hair that's tickling my face. I can't find it. Um, if you're watching on video, I'm having a heck of a time. Um, uh, so I've been doing my hair since 2000, dyeing it some form of something since 2012, and I. I don't know if I'll ever go back to this brown. It's boring. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think I want to do a little pink on, you know. Yes, uh, you should. Yeah. But I don't have that thick hair that, that you have, you know. So I would have to, you know, maybe just do a little bit. Uh, yeah, you know, you could do a couple of, um, couple of small stripes. Yeah, I wish I was. I wish I wish I was closer. I am close. I just we can't do anything because of COVID. I know. Um, I, know. I know, but I can walk you through what to do though, um, and and I'll tell you what to order uh, from Ulta, U L T A dot com. You order okay. these little jars of color, and I have to look and see what it's called. I can't remember, um, but I get the turquoise, and I get 
flamingo. I think this is flamingo. Uh, but I leave it on for like a long, long, long time. So it's a really dark and then it just gets, it's like raspberry right now, but it gets lighter and lighter and lighter and lighter as it goes and it lasts me several months. Yeah, that, that was my question. How long does it last? It just sort of fades, right? It sort of fades, yeah. And uh, if you don't, when you wash it, you sud, you put the suds in your hand and then you pat your head and you don't ever rub your hair. Um, I will sometimes when I first wash it. I mean, when I first do it, it's usually too dark. And so I'll go in there with baby shampoo and do like five times where I wash it really hard and get all the extra stuff out. And so it starts to get a little bit lighter. Um, but once I get to a color I like, then I just uh, take the sud. I sud put the suds in and just very gently pad the suds all through the hair, you know, and do it upside down and then very gently um, rinse it and with cold water if I can stand it. But I usually, I usually don't just because I do it dark enough that it, it lightens up slowly. And so, so yeah, it, it, and it depends on the hair too. I have really thick hair. So, uh, and, and really thick yeah, hair. no, I hate you. So it's, and I get it thinned. And so I need to, and then I, and because I'm, I wear cochlear implants. So I, I have a undercut usually that's shaved and it's all growing right now. So I need to reshave it again. My husband keeps saying, you want me to shave your head? I'm like, yeah, but don't do it yet. So we pull it all up and then we just shave everything underneath. Uh, and then it makes it a lot cooler too. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, I bet it is hot. Oh, yeah. it's so hot. Normally it's, this is like, three inches longer than it normally is it's but i can't go to the hair salon because i'm i'm not gonna i'm not going yeah. out so not not until covid's taken care of mm -hmm. so you see all these things that uh everybody is learning about you i mean <laughs> whether they want to or not <laughs> yeah yeah well so what is going to be your next june nash book next and one the next one is called How to Launch Your Lizard, and you're hearing the title first, maybe. I don't think I've told anybody yet. I don't think so. But if you've already heard it, then you probably were the first. <laughs> so Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, um, I just got the cover back. It is gorgeous. Our cover design artist is so good. Um, so this is the fourth cover that he's done for me, and it's just gorgeous. And... Um, uh, probably at the end of next month, anybody who's listening from the mailing list, you'll get a, uh, I'll send the cover out to you guys at the yeah, end of the month yeah. with the date of when, right now I'm a little over halfway done. So um, it was supposed to go to the editor on the 1st of August, but, and if you're on my mailing list, you know what stupid thing I did in the middle of the month. I, I have, um, Everybody, you know, you've got pills you got to take every day. So I have really bad arthritis. And I have since I've been in my mid-20s, really bad. So it's my middle finger and my thumb. And it's some days, I mean, I can't straighten my hand. And there's some days that I, I just have like a claw. Uh, so I'm on a daily baby, baby aspirin. And then I have a couple other things that I take, my thyroid and um, vitamin D, because I'm I, like my bones are like in need desperately of, you know, calcium. So I know, and I drink a lot of milk and eat cheese and all that. So, so anyway, so uh, normally I have like one of those pill containers that, that old people use yeah. you the days of the week and you have all your pills in there. And um, I was supposed to refill it and I was really lazy and I'm like, oh, I'll just take it out of the bottles because I have no problem, you know, taking my pills. I only take three. 
Well, when I had gone to the doctor about my arthritis, that it finally got, you know, to was really bothering me and she prescribed the baby aspirin. She also gave me some muscle relaxants. <laughs> and they're in the bottle that looks exactly like the aspirin. So for nine days, I was drugging myself. <laughs> Instead of baby aspirin, I was taking a muscle relaxant first thing in the morning. And I kept saying to my husband, are you tired? I don't know why I'm so tired. It's only 10 milligrams. You're supposed to take it three times a day, but it, but it would knock me out till about five. And I don't, I mean, I have a really hard time um, waking up in the morning, waking up, or if I have surgery and coming out of anesthesia takes me forever. Every time I went in for my, for my implants, for my cochlear implants, I'd go in with, you go in with a group and everybody gets knocked out at the same time and then they get sent off to their doctors for whatever and everybody comes back and you're all recovering at the same time. And I would be like the last one. Everybody's long gone. The nurse wants to go home. They'd be like, wake up. Maybe Mark would be in there. Can you wake up? Just sit up and you'll feel better. I'm like, I'm, I'd be so groggy. I couldn't even sit up. I couldn't even think of sitting up. So, you know, just even a little bit of, of and I always warn the anesthesiologist too, a little bit goes a long way with me. So don't kill me, you know. Uh, so that 10 milligrams was enough to just completely destroy me. And so for nine days, and I, I thought, I, I almost went and got a carbon monoxide detector, but nobody else in the family, there's four of us living in this house and nobody else was having issues. Everybody else was fine. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? I don't know why I'm so tired. What's wrong with me? So I got no writing done for nine days. And I was on, I was on great track. I'd written like 20,000 words. I mean, I was hitting it. I was going to be done. No problem. August 1st, I was going to have the book off to the editor. And then she takes like a week and then the book would be out like August 20th. That was the day that we were originally looking at. And so then one day I'm about to take my pills and I'm like, for some reason I, in my foggy brain, I'm like, didn't I get some muscle relax relaxants? Could it be? <laughs> I like it. I got the bottle out and I'm reading it. And I, I thought, I better look up what this long word means. <laughs> like, oops. <laughs> So I took a pencil and wrote muscle relaxant and put it in a shelf in the closet. And so it's way out of the way. And if I need them, if my hand gets really bad, I can take one. Uh, but so then the next, that day, that day, I'm like, oh my God, I feel so good. <laughs> I'm so awake. Uh, but it took, still took me a few days to, to get back into the swing of things because I mean, I, for the last nine days, I'd sat on the couch sleeping all day long. It was just absolutely crazy. So then it took me another, another, you know, five, six days or so. And then after that, I was like, oh, I don't want to sit and write. Then I, then I had trouble sitting at the computer. So I, I work every day from one o'clock to six o'clock Eastern time. That's my writing time. And in the morning at 10 o'clock till noon, I do all my marketing and um, any, of the, any of the technical stuff that I got to work on. That's when I do that stuff. And it just... I had no patience for anything. It was, it was really hard. And I finally got back into it. Um, this week I wrote, I don't know, three, three, 35, 4,000 words, something like that this week. So I'm slowly, tomorrow is an all day yeah. writing day, trying to catch up. Uh, speaking my, of readers, I know the question that a lot of them are asking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it all the time. Yep. Soon going to... Going to get back together. Oh, June and Morgan. June, yeah. So June and Morgan, 
were childhood friends. They met when they were five, when, when Dewey and June, their mother moved to Horseshoe Bend from someplace. And I, I didn't, I never talk about their dad. He's, I think twice, some form of, he's been mis, he was misplaced by their mother. <laughs> I think that's what I wrote. And I wrote something along the lines for the next time he was mentioned. Cause he, he grafted Greek onto the family tree cause he was Greek. So uh, they met Morgan when they were five. Then in high school, he did something that made him her arch nemesis. And she didn't talk to this, the, like the week they graduated. So she didn't talk to him for 10 years. So in the first book, he's not in the prequel. And then in the first book, How to Sex Your Snake, she gets back in, and he gets, he's involved, you know, and, and, and she has to talk to him again after, you know, 10 years. And it's funny that I had a reader who left a review, it's out there, that she thought it was when, when she read why June was mad at Morgan, she called it lame. And I just laughed because I said, that is so fantastic. I love that. So in How to Square Your Grouper, June explains to someone why he, Morgan is her arch nemesis and he tells her it's really lame. <laughs> so thank you, reader, who, who called that lame because that gave me a nice little, um, nice little point in the next book. So will they get together? I don't know. You know, they, they have a great relationship. They are best friends without them wanting to really call each other best friends. I'm really concerned about crotch pants. And um, crotch guy, it's crotch guy. Yeah, uh, yes. <laughs> I even, <laughs> you know, I have to tell now the people listening, maybe who haven't read the book, that you you have a lot of characters in your books, and um, most of them have nicknames. I mean, you. So uh, not crotch pants, crotch guy. Crotch guy, yeah. You want to come I in like and crotch out, pants, you know? And so, <laughs> you know why? I think why. The first date I ever had in high school, I had a double date, you know, of course, and I think I was a junior. I don't know. And, um, you know, the guys picked us up in, in the car and everything. And this guy, he had yellow pants. We met him at a drive-in, you know, and you don't really see somebody too well at the drive-in. Yeah. So they ask us out. And so he had yellow baggy pants so he was always when people say who did you have your first date with baggy pants baggy pants <laughs> but anyway so i think that's where the pants came from but um so anyway uh, you know this this crotch guy keeps coming back in in and out too and a couple of times yeah yeah for june has a hard time june she knows the names of people that are important to her but if they're not important to her, she doesn't really take the time to get, she kind of gives them a nickname. Well, we, we have discovered so much about you. <laughs> Too much she probably. Herself, uh, <laughs> she can't remember names, neither can I. Um, <laughs> we learned about your beloved dog. So we know Cyrano was really, yeah. he's still living, you know, yeah, living. She, Roxanne will live on forever through the books. Yeah. And yeah. 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 So she'll always be around, which is nice and nice to think. Yeah. 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 This has really been fun for me. Ha have you been tortured too much? No, no, you know, no. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people that, you know, I talked about myself. I can talk about myself all day long. <laughs> so everybody <laughs> like, if anybody's still listening, um, thank you. 
fun. <laughs> that was fun. Uh, I'm one of those people. Sure, I'll talk about myself all day long. Oh, dear. Uh, I did edit a lot of it out because more than once I said, what was the question again? After I had wandered around the universe uh, answering it. Um, I don't know. Anyway, so it was fun to do though. And uh, like I said, I, those are the, a lot of those were questions I get asked all the time by readers. So uh, let's see. Um, if you have any comments, you can go down to the show notes and click on that link and you can leave a comment. Uh, you can recommend a book if there is something that I need to desperately read or something you've written that I desperately need to read. Let me know. And uh, that's it for now. I will see you next time. Go read a good book. Mm -hmm.